Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And so we're in a series called Summer Love and we've been looking at relationships. Um, Relationships, you know, if you've been around our church for a little while, maybe a few years, you might say, hang on, Tony, you've spoken about relationships before and you'd be right. And if you hang around another year, I'm going to be speaking about relationships again. Because relationships affect us all. And so we're always speaking about relationships and we like to talk about them at different levels and in different ways. And and so tonight's just a a different way of doing that. But before I get my panel up here, I just want to read a scripture to you. And it's found in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Last week, uh, Paul spoke about dating and tonight we want to speak about marriage and parenting. And we want to look at what the Scriptures have to say. And then I'm going to ask our panel as to what what the Scriptures mean with what we're reading tonight. And so it says this, Wives, submit to your husbands. There's that S word. We're going to look at that tonight. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. We're going to look at headship and biblical headship and what that means tonight. As Christ is the head of the church, the body for which He is the Saviour. Now as the church, sorry, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Imagine that. Imagine if men loved their wives as much as they love their own bodies. I got a lot of loving on my wife to do. Let me just tell you that. Just a very loved woman. (laughs) Says, after all, no one ever hated their own body. (laughs) Not me, not, not. You think I'm pausing for effect? I've just lost my place, that's all, don't. (laughs) But he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So there's this incredible power parallel, that men are meant to take care of their wives in the same way they take care of themselves. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For it's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. In other words, if you obey your parents, it will go well with you. If you don't, it won't. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Paul, who was the author of this particular letter to the Ephesian church, in actual fact, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. He was a Christian and he had much to say not just about his relationship with God and, and the fact that he was taken up into the third heaven and, and all those incredible spiritual experiences, but he was a very practical man. And, and he penned many things that are difficult to understand, but he penned more things that are easy to understand. And I don't know about you, but uh, I, it's, it's not the things I don't understand so much as the things I do that are hard to get a hold of at times. And so we're going to look, with our help of our panel tonight, about some of the things that Paul addresses and how that looks for us in 2014. Because there is a notion out there that, you know, the Bible is untrue, irrelevant, and boring. And it was okay for Paul to write some things that was, you know, 2,000 years ago. But, you know, we have technology now. We have cell phones. Paul never had a cell phone. So how on earth can we love our wives? Like, really? I think there are some things that are foundational. And we want to look at those things to tonight. And so joining me on the panel, firstly, is my wife, Kath. So why don't you come up here, Kath, and let's put our hands together for her. I think they want you to sit here. Is that right? They want you to sit here. And they want me to sit there. I don't know why, but they've told us where to sit. Told us where to sit. Anyway, so this is Kath. Say hi to Kath. For those of you who don't know, and for those of you who do, you're like, yeah, we know, we know. But for those of you who don't, Kath and I have been married for 22 years this February. And we dated for eight years before that. And on March 17th of this year, we've been together for 30 years. So we've learned some things about, you know, love and dating and relationships and marriage and, and all that. So we're going to talk about that tonight. And, and helping me is another couple who have married much longer than us. This couple have been married some 40 years. And that's Paul and Gabe Benithan. So let's welcome Paul and Gay. Ah. Come up here, you two. This is Paul, that's Gay, just in case you're wondering. Say hi to Paul. Howdy. Oh. I'm like, where's his microphone? In his pocket. As you do. And this is Gay. Say hi to Gay. Excellent. Uh, so just so that we all know who we are and what we're dealing with here, um, just a, a little bit of an explanation. Who's you are, who's husband, who's, who you are, who's your husband, and how many kids you have? Well, my name is Kath. This hunk on my left is my husband. As you said, we've been married for 22 years, dated for eight years before that, so been together for 30, which is more than half my age. Uh, we have three children. Our eldest daughter, Jordan, is 15, going on 16. Our one and only son, Mitch, is 13, going on 14. And our youngest daughter, Bailey, or BJ, is uh, seven, going on eight. Yes. In September? In September. So she's seven, really. Yeah, I had to think about that. I mean, you could say she's seven, going on 24, but like, where, where do you stop? I mean, it's not like a birthday's just around the corner. So. We are talking about relationships tonight, aren't we? Good. Good. 
We're also talking about relations on a truthful foundation. <laughs> and I don't want the people out there to think that our daughter's almost eight. She's not. She's eight in September. That's miles away. <laughs> Just for the record, she's seven. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I couldn't itch your nose tonight. Sorry. Oh. Anyway, um, why don't you introduce yourselves? My name's Gay, and this is my hunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been going, thank you, we've been going out together for 44 years. Woo! And Paul still takes me home, sometimes <laughs> the long way, and to Hungry Jack's, but that's okay. <laughs> we've been married for 41 and a half years. We have four children. We have three sons, Ben, Wesley, and Jonathan, and one very gorgeous little girl, Kimberly. And uh, Wesley and Kimberly are here tonight. And we also have three very beautiful daughters-in-laws. We've got Rebecca, Joanne, and Amy, and Amy's here tonight. And we have become not just parents, but we are now grand, because we are grandparents <laughs> of seven very delightful um, grandchildren. <laughs> four boys and four girls. In the grandchildren. And when we become great-grandparents, great we'll be great, like grand and great. So I'm very excited, looking forward to that. <laughs> Anyone can be a parent, but we can be grand and great. It's good. Well, well we like to think of ourselves as awesome parents. We, we just made that up just then. We just made that up just then, just to try and compete with you. Do you want to add to that, Paul? Are you happy with that introduction? Very happy with the introduction, yes. I know yeah. my place already. There we go. <laughs> the, 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 the nature of having a panel is that it might go just like this, any which way, okay? So, so we're on track. We're just going to have fun tonight, all right? And so I'm going to ask this panel some questions. Some are going to be, you know, directed toward, you know, the men on this team and others will be directed at the women. And, you know, other than that, feel free to jump in, you know, wherever and however, all right? But I'm going to start with, with the biggie, and, and that is this S word, because the scriptures say, as I've already alluded to, that wives, of which you are both, you know, wives and awesome at it, uh, it says that wives should submit to their husbands. And now, I know that you know, is, is, a, is a horrible word in some people's hearing. In actual fact, some people actually take that out of the marriage vows. They say, oh, well, I'm not submitting. To... And if you did that, God bless you, you're welcome. <laughs> but I think it would be fantastic to hear from a couple of the ladies on our panel about submission and what that means and uh, what that looks like for you. So maybe, Kath. Well, actually, you uh, stole my intro because I was going to say when uh, Paul actually married Tony and I 22 years ago, and uh, at the reception, one of my girlfriends who I worked with, the first thing she said to me after she'd seen us, she said to me, Kath, I can't believe you said obey and submit in your vows. And I was a little bit taken back. I said, well, what do you mean? And she's like, you, of all people, you know, you're a strong woman, you're an independent woman, and you said submit. And it was right there and then that I understood that we have in society a perception or a confusion between what submission is and what I feel subservient is. And submission by definition is to yield one's will to another 
where subservient is of lesser value. And I think people struggle, and women especially struggle, when it comes to the submit word because we interchange it with subservient. And the Bible tells me that we have been created, male and female, in the image of God. We have been created with equal value, but for different roles and different function. And I think, for me personally, it is easy to submit because I have an understanding that I'm just yielding my will to another's. I am of no lesser value, have no lesser opinion, I am no different in terms of my standing before God and every other human being on the planet, I just have a different function. And one of my functions as a woman is to submit to the leadership and the headship of my husband. And because I understand that, I don't have, a tr- I don't have any issues or hassles in submitting to that. And I think one of the greatest examples actually is of Jesus. And you, if you remember and you know the scripture where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, he doesn't want to go to the cross. In fact, he's saying, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. But it's the greatest example, I believe, of submission. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. And that's what godly submission is. It's a surrender to someone else's will. So that's why I find submission easy. I agree with all of that. And submission is not the Freddie Flintstein caveman who comes and drags the woman and hits her on the head with the club and the dinosaurs are there and drags her away. It is something that we do of our own will. For the scripture said, wives, submit yourself. It's not that the man beats you down and commands you and demands you to submit yourself, but as wives, we submit ourselves. As we tonight have submitted ourselves to these chairs to hold us up, to look after us, not to drop us, we put our trust in these chairs. So we're saying to our husbands that we will trust you and we will say to our husbands that we know that you will look after us, that you will care for us, that you are responsible for us as wives and for our families. And it's very important that we choose the correct partner before we even marry because I'm just not going to submit to anybody. If I'm going to submit, I want to submit and put my trust and to give my love to the right man. Wow, that's good. What would be some qualities that you'd be looking for in a man that you could actually submit to? I would be looking, and I did look for, I looked for a man who was patient, a hunk as well, but (laughs) (laughs) I looked for a man who was patient, uh, a man who did not lose his temper. I have only seen Paul lose his temper once in 44 years, and that was on our first date when his, was it the F.J. Holden? Is that what it, the F.J. Holden broke down down at Moana Beach and he, the tyre went or something and he kicked the tyre. And it was, it was just a little tap. And, and that was it. Oh, he's never yelled. He's never screamed. He's, he's a very patient kindness. You need gentleness. You need someone who will persevere, someone who will just care for you. And so we need to look at real qualities. It's not the, the money in the bank. It's not what kind of car. It's, it's a man who is, who is noble. It's an old-fashioned word, but a man who is noble, a man who is honourable, a man who is honest, and a man who is going to treat you with respect mm. and with dignity so that you can live your life as a woman under their protection 
and under their care, but still be able to do those things that God has called you to do as well. Wow. I think, too, what you have to understand, often women get a really bad rap because, you know, well, they don't submit. But I think, and I know the guys will talk into this, but men actually have a lot to answer for because, mm. you know what, you can't submit to a jerk. That's right. It just doesn't work that way. And so, I, you know, people say to me, well, it's all right for you. And I actually have to say to them, you know what, you're right. It is absolutely okay for me and my submission is easy, not because um, I don't have my own will that I have to willingly, but because I've got a man who I can easily Mm. submit to. And so, again, getting back to what Gay said about even before marriage, and Paul mentioned it last week when he said, you know, he took Gay out for a day and just went, this is where I'm going, this is what God said to me, if you can't go here, then let's just call this quit now. And I think it's right back then, you've just got to say, actually, is this a man, before we go even any further, that I could submit to? I've watched, I look over his shoulder, I see how he's doing life, and I could easily submit to that. So while it is a woman's place, and it's her choice, and she has to do it, men, you have a responsibility to live a life that a woman would love and joyfully want to submit to you. That's good. Good. You know, when it comes to everything we share tonight, and as we look at the scriptures, you, you need to understand that this is not about bringing condemnation. This is about us giving people the best possible chance to succeed in life. And so, if you are young and not yet married, I, I want you to really, really listen up because there's nothing better than getting it right in the beginning. We also realise that in a room this size, there are people who actually didn't take advantage of a good start or were unaware of this because of life circumstances and situations, and there is help and hope for you as well. And so we're talking across a broad spectrum, and so um, if that was a little bit idealistic for you and you haven't married the non-jerk, you've got listen up, hang around, we're going to speak into that as well. Okay. Paul, biblical headship. The man is the head of the home, according to the scriptures. Uh, Again, this is another area that's really, really um, uh, distorted. Can you please speak into what biblical headship is from a male perspective? I believe biblical headship means that the the man takes the... he, He stands responsible for the underlying tones and tenor of the family group. That whatever goes on... It's ultimately his responsibility. He's agreed to it. By taking a wife under his arm, taking her into his care, he's actually taken on the responsibility. Now, that's set forth in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. He said, these are your roles. I'm going to find a lady suitable for you, but you need to care care for her. And it was to Adam that God spoke his law and he expected Adam to look after Eve. Now, if all us Adams were looking after our Eves the way we should, I don't think there's an Eve on earth that would say, I don't want my Adam caring for me. But we have all, because of sin, disobedience, rebellion, sometimes without offense, ignorance, We have all fallen into a a trap, a hole, where men do not really understand what's been given into our hands. You see, when God gave us headship, he gave us the authority to protect 
our families. I don't mean the authority just being a muscle man or an M16 behind our, our door or something. What I mean is he gave us spiritual authority to be able to pray over and for our wives and our children, to hold them in a place of faith, expecting that he would care for them, that God himself would care for them and, for, and protect them when they go out from the homes, when they come home. He's also responsible ultimately for, the, for what the children do, what they look at, what they hear to protect it. And if he's not able to speak to the child, if he's a, the relationship is such that he feels uncomfortable with that, then he delegates that area of responsibility to his wife. And she can speak to the child. I think particularly of, of dads and daughters, you know, there are things that you can speak about and there are things that's best left for mum to talk to their daughters about. But just, just in the same way, there are things that men need to speak to their boys about that a wife will struggle to know what that really feels like and how to go about it. So headship has been given to the man. It doesn't mean that he's standing on top of his wife. It means that when God created two equals, he said, you're the sweet one and you've got the responsibility. End of story. And so to be a man is wonderful because I know that I have direct command from God to be responsible for our family, to undertake to keep the spiritual tenor of the family at a right level. And to God isn't going to say to the wife, to my wife, what did you do about these things? It's going to be aimed at me because that's what he did in the garden. Eve was never blamed for eating of the fruit. Adam said, why did you eat of the fruit? I told you not to. So men, we have a role there. And it's in the, in, as much as being responsible affects every area of life. So our headship, our responsibility to carry that, that burden and that joy relates to our headship and honouring our family, our wife and our children. From my point of view, as a male, hearing that I am the head of our home, I find it incredibly daunting. You know, I, I've never grabbed that and used that against my wife. I find that incredibly weighty. The fact that God has placed me as the ultimate authority of our home is a weighty, weighty thing. That I can, I can make decisions and I can take our family. There's a freedom to take our family down a certain path. You know, that, that has privileges, absolutely. But it also has um, consequences. And the decisions I make will determine whether the uh, consequences are good or bad. And so if you're a young man hearing that you are the head of the home as a male, and when you get married, you're going to be the head of the home, and you get really excited about that, that that's cool. But know this, there is a weighty element to that. And uh, outside of the word responsibility, another word I like to think of um, headship is, is, is an example. Uh, we see that Jesus is the head of the church, and he was the ultimate example for us. And by way of being an example, it's just about being the first person to do what is required. 
And so if you recognize that people need to apologize for their mistakes, you need to be the first person as the head of your home to apologize. You know, I, I do believe men should come first. They should be the first to apologize. They should be the first to say sorry. They should be the first to give of their tithes and of their offerings. They should be the first to pray. They should be the first one out of bed. They should be the first one setting the tone and the example of the home. And so for me, headship is responsibility and it's example. And it is an incredible privilege, but it's coupled with responsibility. And I pray that you men out there can enjoy both the privilege and pick up the responsibility of what it is to be the head of your home. Amen. It also says, husbands, love your wives. And that can become flippant. We love ice cream. We love chocolate. We love our wives. We love dogs. We love cats. We love poor dad. I think Paul was saying something more than love ice cream, love your wife. Speak into that for us. The, uh, the word love for us, unfortunately, is just one word. And it covers a multiple number of actions and attitudes. In the Greek, which the New Testament was written in mostly, it actually has love. There are four different words for the word or the expression that we would call love. There's the uh, eros, which speaks of uh, physical love. There's the phileo, which speaks of uh, a mental and a soulish kind of love. There is the, there is the uh, agape, which speaks of God's love. And the fourth one, I'm not going to go there just now, but it's actually speaking of the love kind of relationships uh, between um, special family members and, and those sorts of things. But I just want to read to you the best thing for you and I to understand about love. I think we, uh, we can all understand what it means for us to, to, to know about a physical love. That's fairly easy to work out. There's enough hormones put in us by God uh, to uh, be fruitful and multiply. And that actual, that actual law that God gave to humankind has never been revoked. There isn't a population crisis because God knows he set the population growth in place. It's not just a phileo love or a mental love. That, that's good to, and it's important to have a love, a friendship and a deep fellowship with the one that you choose to live with. It's much better to have a good, strong love than to be at war with each other. But the final ingredient, and this is the one that really makes it or shakes it, is this one. And it's the definition of love from 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boasting, nor proud or rude. It does not demand its own way, it's not irritable, and it keeps no record of wrongs that have been incurred. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, love never loses faith, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. If you show those characteristics, those attitudes, those actions of love, your wife, my good friend, gentleman here tonight, your wife will love you to bits if you show those attitudes toward her. Now, I must say, 
It's not easy to complete God's perfect love. In fact, we can't. So we do slip up from time to time. But this should be our goal. If you want a measuring stick, this is the measuring stick. It's not the sloppy love you see on TV. It's not the intrigue that you read about in daggy books or, or other places that you might get information. This is the kind of love that really reaches and sustains the heart and the living environment of your wife and your children. This makes, this makes family work. This makes creation hold together. Because this is, this is what God's directive is all about. And you can pull it apart. There are nine uh, attitudes there. There are nine actions there. You'll find the most of them relate to the present. Two relate to the past. And two relate to the future. So God's got the whole thing covered. He's got your present covered, your future covered, and he's dealt with your past as well. So let love rule in your lives. It also serves as a bit of a checklist. You know, if you're, having, you know, if you're not on the same page at any one given time with your, with your spouse, you know, it gives you a checklist saying, where, where am I going wrong? And often you'll find there's a character trait that's being overlooked that you can if you're committed to the marriage, work on in yourself to make for a great marriage. Gay goes on to say that wives should respect their husbands, not necessarily love, but respect. Do you want to speak into that for us? Yeah. Respect is quite a different quality where a man likes to know that his wife is listening to him, that she is taking the time to understand him, that she honours him, and that she knows that what he is saying is of great value. And so we need to respect our husbands because our marriage is a picture of the church. Our marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. And even as the church loves and honours and respects Jesus Christ, so we as wives need to honour and to love our husbands. In fact, when you say your wedding vow, you actually say that I will love you and I will honour you. You actually say that you, will, that, that you will esteem this man and you will keep him only unto yourself. And so we need to respect our husbands because of the place of headship that God has placed them in. That God has done that for a purpose, for our own protection, for our, so that the man can be responsible for us and for our children. And so we need to respect him. We need to listen to him. Not just come with our own preconceived ideas. I'm the sort of person who's got that many ideas and I like to share them very quickly and I kind of know where I'm going and what I'm doing but I've moved on to the next thing before Paul's even come home and I still make this mistake when he comes home and I say to him, how has your day been? I actually tell him how his day's been for him because sometimes Paul, Paul's the kind of guy that he'll take a deep breath and he'll think about it and he speaks a little slower than me. So I've got a whole lot of things I want to do and I want to get on with because I've got to move on to the next thing. And so I'll answer the question for him. And, and, but I'm pretty right though, aren't I? Because I can kind of get the vibe how he drives in. and I get the vibe. So I'll tell him and the poor man just goes, and then I've gone because I'm doing something else. And I'm just off on my, on my next thing. So I've had to learn to respect my husband by listening to him and allowing him to speak. And I know that some of you may have the same sort of problem as well. 
because we can come up with all the answers. But we need to respect our husbands and listen to them and allow them to speak and allow them to speak into the life of the family, into our own, own lives. Why? Because we want them to protect us and to take care of us and to be responsible for us. And so we need to allow him do that. So many women just want to do everything. We want to be the mother, the father, the head. We just want to do everything. But that's not the way that God has made it. And we can't carry that burden. I know for some of you single parents, that's, a, that's, that's another discussion again. But we need to just know that we need to respect our husbands, listen to them, allow them to speak into our lives because they're looking at things sometimes from a different point of view. And it's good to have a husband who is wise and who can speak into our lives for our own sake. That's good. So if I heard you correctly, you told us that women speak more than men. <laughs> who knew? It's true. It's true. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, often, um, Tony and I often talk about it's funny that God says that a man must love the wife and yet the wife must respect it's not vice versa and I think the reason for that is as women we just we created loving is actually easy for a woman we were, we're created to nurture I mean you think about it you have a baby and this baby totally interrupts your life you're up and down you're this and you're that and yet you never consider that you don't love this baby you do just do those things and Elizabeth Elliot in her book love has a price tag writes this whole um concept about how a woman can she'll do anything she loves a man she'll do this she'll do that, do that and it finishes by saying the whole time she thinks he's an idiot pretty much and so that's why the concept is about why women have to work on respect because love comes naturally and easy for us and that's why we often talk to the young guys about being very careful what you do with a young lady if you have no intention of this going any further be very careful where you go because a young lady's heart is so tender and she's created to nurture she's in love with you very quickly you know, it might be irrational to you, but that's just where she goes. That's the way she's designed. And so God isn't saying to the woman, love the husband. He's saying respect the husband because we can love but still not respect men because of just the way we're doing things and what we're thinking and he's an idiot and he's this and there's that. And that's why the challenge to us women is to do the respect, to think about actually how can I respect my husband? What does that look like for me? How does that do? Not just love him. I love him but he's an idiot and talk down to him or you know, talk to him through the kids or rubbish him to your girlfriends. That's why the challenge for us is loving my husband is easy. Respecting him is like submission. It's a choice and something I need to work at. There are some fellas who um, don't do enough. And, you know, guys, we do need to talk more. Somehow, um, a fellow described that, 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 that ladies are like a mosaic floor. Everything's, every little tile is connected to the next tile. And, and they are very connected, whereas, whereas we are more sort of a box shape. And, um, and we can lock up into that area of no-go and we can just shut down and we can just go silent and we can just hibernate in there. And it's a discipline on us to actually identify our feelings and then share those feelings. The wife is actually looking, it's like, it's like food to her soul that we actually tell her how we are feeling about something. 
Don't, don't just come in and announce that you've bought a new car and you've bought it a blue color. It's, buying a car is something, uh, uh, something that you can share with your wife and say why you did that. You, you don't come and announce, you come and discuss. You come and open the situation. You come and open the conversation up for a, a time of talking together about these things. And that needs to be, I've just used a car, but that needs to be played out on every decision that you make within the household. Where you send your children to school. Dads, do you know what subjects and how your child is going at school? Or do you have to wait for the end of term when the child comes and sort of says, this is my report card. And mum sort of cooks the best meal so that you don't hit the roof when you see that there's an F or a D or something there. You, you should know way before then. You should, know, you should know way before then how your child is going. And if you have a good car and your wife has a car, your wife's car should be no less important to you than your car. She should have good tires on the car. After all, the majority of the time, she's transporting your children, probably not you. Mm. So, fellas, there are times we don't get the right reaction from our wives, and I'm persuaded it's not initiated or not initially the wife that's brought about that hurt. I'm persuaded it's a fellas, either through ignorance Good. or belligerence or just being plain dumb have not gotten in there and contributed to the relationship. If fellas contribute, if wives contribute, the relationship can only grow and get better. That's great. But the difficulty really occurs when one or the other of the parties pulls their blind down or says, talk to the hand, I'm out of here then you've got a real, That's real great. problem. And our wives hurt when we, the fellas, don't give them what they need from us. Our wives hurt because they are looking for that emotional support. They're looking for that resource that comes from a man's soul and a man's heart. They're looking for that. After all, they've given their lives, along with their name, mostly, to you, to live with you. So, fellas, we need to really stand up in this area. And if we give our wives what they are looking for, what they are needing, we'll get a much better response from them. If your wife, I'm not asking for hands, but if your wife appears to be demanding on you, don't look at her Say, what am I not supplying her that has got her pushed into this corner or got her back against the wall that she feels she's only going to get something out of me by demanding it from me? We need to be much more proactive. Wow. And gentlemen, we, we can't escape that. I know it's uncomfortable territory to go into because uh, we'd rather be on a golf course or hanging a line out of the bay of our fishing boat but that's not what's needed here. We as men, as husbands, need to stand up, take our role of headship, be responsible, and give to our wives 
that part of us that they desperately need. Mm. Amen. Enjoying this? Are you learning something? You know, if, if I know human nature like I do, the tendency is to say, this is great. And as a husband, you're thinking, I hope my wife is listening. <laughs> and the wife's saying, I hope my husband's listening. That, that's human nature. That's the tendency. That's the pull. It's the pull of sin. To, just, to, just I hope they're listening about what they've got to change. Christianity is about listening to what we need to do. Yeah to become better at what God has called us to do. And so I know the tendency will be to go home and speak to your wife or your husband about what they said that replied to them. But before we do that, can we just be mature enough and wise enough to take on board what we need to for ourselves? And for those that are single in this place and aren't going to go home to a husband or a wife, take this now. This is the best time to hear this before you're married. Amen. Awesome. Well, you know, we're, we're almost out of time and I haven't even got to the parenting bit, but I'm just going to quickly throw a few parenting questions out. How does that sound? Is that all right? Do, we, is it okay if we go there? Okay. Because what I really feel to do is ask the band to come back in just a little while and just pray for people, particularly in the area of relationships. And, and so I, I don't want to open up some wounds like I know a panel like this can and will do without at least offering an opportunity to stand with you and pray for you. So please, if, if this is getting too tender for some of you, if some of you are just loving this and it's just amazing and, and you know, some of you are single and I want you to know, you'll never be a better husband or wife than when you are single. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. But I do want to be sensitive to those that uh, may be doing it tough right now. We want to just be there for you and with you at this time. And so the Bible says that uh, children should obey their parents and as parents we love that just obey but what should parents be doing Gabe and Ivan to make it easy for our kids to obey okay in our family and in the families of our children all the grandchildren know one phrase from the time they can talk and it is and my children will yell it out I must they know it <laughs> they're very obedient Nice. And that was the first thing that they learnt, because parenting is, is about preparing our children for the future. And we need to remember that. It's preparing them in their physical body, in their emotions, mentally, but also spiritually. You and I as Christians have been given this wonderful children of this wonderful gift of children. And we want our children to grow up in the ways of the Lord. And so we want them to understand what it is to obey us so that they can begin to comprehend what it is to obey God the Father. So right from the word go, we are modeling, and this is where obedience is so vital because it's not just about the children, it's about you obeying as well. For there is nothing worse than you saying to your child, you must obey me, go and make your bed, when your bedroom's one mess. It's, it's, it's just, not, the child's just going to go, well, you're making a mess, why do I have to make my, my bed? There's no point you saying, oh gosh, we've got to go to church today, I hope he finishes quick and hope we can get out quick because I want to go somewhere. And then you expect your children to come to church joyfully and happily. If you say you don't want to come, they're not going to come. 
And so as parents, we are modeling. And where the Bible says that children need to obey their parents, we're training them so that they will ultimately obey Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what it's about. It's not just about us being going, able to go out to a restaurant and they can sit properly and eat with a knife and a fork, which is at some ages a miracle in itself. And it makes you feel so much better when they do eat with the knife and the fork and not their fingers in public. It's not just about that. There's a spiritual aspect to this where our children, if they cannot obey Paul and I who they see, how will they obey God who they cannot see? And so our children in obedience had to learn how to listen, had to learn how to listen, that if we said, no, don't do that, we meant it and we followed through, there are consequences of, for their disobedience, but they had to learn how to listen. Why did they need to know how to listen? Because one day, my cute little children who were in the playpen, who were playing outside where I could see them, are 18 and have a car. And that elder one is driving his two brothers and sisters somewhere that I know of because they've made a detour. I have to trust that that principle obedience is going to be in them on that occasion. And that they are going to be strong enough to say, no, we will not do that because I must. Gee, you're not very good, are you? What was it? <laughs> I must? Obey. Come on, you've got to know it. I must obey. obey. Why? Because we have to show obedience to God. So we never said they were good or bad. It was obedience or disobedience. Wow. And it was always, I must obey. Come on. You're not obeying me now. I'm going to give you one more bite. <laughs> no hungry jacks tonight, straight to bed. Got it? Or worse, because some parents do that. They deprive the children. Because I had three sons, one gorgeous little girl. Remember, I had the three big boys. And they're all bigger than me. They're all bigger than me. They grew up. I found out that the deprivation was not working. But what I did find was if I gave them something to do, a big job, that that was better. So get them to mow the lawn, get them to wash the dishes, get them to wash the cars. That too can be a punishment in their eyes, but you're teaching them responsibility. Good. And so we, we, we have to teach them to listen. We have to teach them to have instant obedience. Because we used to say to our children, if we say stop, if we say stop, you must obey instantly because the truth of the matter is they're little, we're tall, and we can see the car coming. They can't. We're teaching them a principle of God. I want, we wanted our children, when they were older, that if they felt the Holy Spirit speak into their heart, stop, that they would stop instantly because as much as Paul and I knew a little bit of the dangers out there, the Holy Spirit knows even more and he's watching over wow. them. And so they had to learn that instantly. If, God, if they just get that little inkling, that little feeling, that's, that God is telling them to stop, to stop instantly. Because obedience must be instant because it's for their good. And so there came a time when these children that, you know, I could handle quite easily had their driver's license and they came into me, the three boys especially, and they wanted to take Paul's car and Paul was away on a mission trip and they stood around me and I looked up at them and one of them patted me on the head and said, it's all right, mum, just settle down. That didn't help. Did not help. Did not help. <laughs> Did not help at all. 
See, I can still feel it now. It just didn't help. It's all flooding back. They surrounded me like wild animals. And they're standing there. And they wanted the car. Now, I realised, and at this age, if I don't get this right, I'm in big trouble. Because I do not have the authority over them anymore. And obedience is about authority. And so I had to have some authority. So with all my strength, I rose to five foot two and looked as <laughs> tough as I could. And I said no in my best voice. I said no. And they looked at me and there was a bit of a... And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. And they had arguments and we could do this and Ben was going to look after them. They weren't going to go anywhere, you know. Just going to go this, do that. And I said, no, no, no. And I had to stand my ground. But that only came, and I, and I was going to say I won. That's not true. They obeyed. Yeah. They said, okay, mum, we won't go. But I could not have done that if I had not trained them yeah. in obedience from day one. Yeah. Train them not to run out on the road. Train them. Our kids sat in church. They had to sit in church and not move. How hard's that with four kids under the age of six? But thank God we trained them. A lot of people will teach their child, tell them, don't do this, don't do that, and walk away. Training is consistent. Training is ongoing. Training is you are modeling, and you have to show the example of what you expect them to do. If you do not obey the road rules, how do you expect your 18-year-old son to take your car, and you think he's going to obey the road rules? No. If, if, if you are yelling at your wife, do you not think that your son and your daughter is going to do the same thing? So what it does, it actually puts something upon us that we have to live our lives according to God's words and that we have to obey. We've got a what? I must? Obey. Must obey. Because the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice and that if we obey, we are like men and women who build our house, our families upon a rock and that rock is Christ Jesus, the storms will come, but we will not be blown away because we are obedient to the word of God and we must train our children to be obedient to us and to God's word so that when they are older and on their own in a difficult situation, they will choose God's word and God's way above what some young guy is saying to them. It is so important. So we must? Obey. You've got it. Well, you not only answered that question, but my next 10 questions, so <laughs> thanks for that. Awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one more question, and, and you one question, and, and then we're going to finish up with the panel, get the band up, and, and I really do feel to just to pray and stand with some people. But just, just in closing, just a piece of advice, reparenting, anything at all, just stab in the dark. One thing you want to leave these people tonight when it comes to parenting? I think for those who are single, mums have, uh, for whatever reason, hubby's not around. Fathers, for whatever reason, mum is not around. God is compassionate towards you. And there are many times, particularly in Isaiah, that there are numbers of scriptures where God says, you do what you can do, and I'll be there to back you up. Great. And then in the New Testament, he actually asks his body on earth, the church, to step into the breach, to step into the gap, and be part of that protection 
for those families that have become uh, distressed or are in difficulty. So I want to say tonight, most of our thoughts have been directed at, at couples, husbands and wives, and children involved. But to you who are single, to you who have lost your partner for whatever reason, God knows your number, he knows your name, he knows where you are, he knows your bills, he knows the things that are distressing you. And he is there ready to reach out and assist you. Just to give you the strength, just to give you the peace, the grace and the understanding to make it through. Great. You only have to live one day at a time. That's all you have to make it through. You can't change yesterday, can't touch tomorrow. You just have to get through today. That's great. And he's there for you today, wow. right great now. Great word. Great word. And not only is God there for you, but the church is here for you. And the scripture says that God's placed the lonely in families. And that's why I love church, because if you're a single mum here, there are men here who can partner with you. They not, might not physically be your child's dad, but they can physically, uh, they can partner with you. And men here, there are women, there are grandparents here. For those of you who don't have grandparents, that's why I love, love, love the body, the church. Because God has placed us all together. Not one of us has to do life alone. If you're doing life alone, I honestly believe it's because you're choosing to do it that way. And why don't you from tonight say, you know what, I don't need to do it alone. You've been positioned, placed in a family. There's a myriad of people who want to get involved and just help you do life and do it better. So please don't do it alone. But the last thing I want to uh, leave you with, one of the questions Tony had for me was, are you mother or friend? And always mum first. My kids have lots of friends. I am a friend, but I'm mum first. But I want to leave you with this. Don't lose your sense of fun. You know what? You've got to fight. You, we are disciplinarians. It's our role to train and equip and to make them obey and to do this and to do that. But don't lose your sense of fun. We work hard at having fun in our house because, you know what, it's the fun that keeps you together. It's the fun that buys you grace for when I need to address you on this situation. Let's put our hands together for Gay, for Paul and for Kath. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 